Okay, I want to shift gears a little bit here and um, get into some stuff that's a little more serious. I know we've been silly for like the last 24 hours, but I want to share a devotional this morning that is just uh, really good, something that will hopefully make you think and make you to live uh, maybe a little differently. So um, this is called I'm Third. It's from a book called Nightlight by Dr. James Dobson and his wife. It's really like a devotional book for couples, but this is this is good for anybody, so... Out of the sun packed in a diamond formation and flying as one that day, the Minutemen dove at nearly the speed of sound toward a tiny emerald patch on Ohio's unwrinkled crazy quilt below. It was a little after nine on the morning of June 7, 1958, and the destination of the Air National Guard's jet precision team was the famed Wright-Patterson Air Force Base just outside Dayton. On the ground, thousands of faces looked upward as Colonel Walt Williams, leader of the Denver-based Sabrejet team, gauged a high-speed pullout. For the Minutemen pilots, Colonel Williams, Captain Bob Cherry, Lieutenant Bob O'Dell, Captain John Ferrier, and Major Wynn Comer, the maneuver was routine, for they had given their show hundreds of times before millions of people. Low across the fresh green grass, the jet stream streaked far ahead of the noise, of the plane's own screaming engines. Judging his pull-up, Colonel Williams pressed the microphone button on top of his throttle. Smoke on, now. The diamond of planes pulled straight up into the turquoise sky, a bush tail of white smoke pluming out behind. The crowd gasped as the four ships suddenly split apart, rolling to the four points of the compass and leaving behind a beautiful smoky Florida Lee inscribed on the heavens. This was the Minutemen's famed flower burst maneuver. For a minute the crowd relaxed, gazing at the tranquil beauty of the huge white flower that had grown from the lush Ohio grasslands to fill the great bowl of sky. Out on the end of his stem of the flower, Colonel Williams turned his saber hard, cut off the smoke trail, and dropped the nose of his F-86 to pick up speed for the low-altitude crossover maneuver. Then, glancing back over his shoulder, he froze in terror. Far across the sky to the east, John Ferrier's plane was rolling. He was in trouble, and his plane was headed right for the small town of Fairborn, on the edge of Patterson Field. In a moment, the lovely morning had turned to a horror. Everyone saw, everyone understood, one of the planes was out of control. Steering his jet in the direction of the crippled plane to race after it, Williams radioed urgently. Bell out, John. Get out of there. Ferrier still had plenty of time and room to eject safely. Twice more, Williams issued the command. Bell out, Johnny. Bell out. Each time, Williams was answered only by a blip of smoke. He understood immediately. John Ferrier couldn't reach the mic button on the throttle because both hands were tugging on a control stick locked in full throw right. But the smoke button was on the stick, so he was answering the only way he could, squeezing it to tell Walt he thought he could keep his plane under control to avoid crashing into the houses of Fairborn. Suddenly a terrible explosion shook the earth. Then came a haunting silence. Walt Williams continued to call through the radio. Johnny, are you there? Captain, answer me. No response. Major Wynn Comer, who had flown with Ferrier for years, both in the Air National Guard and with the United Airlines, and who had served a combat tour with him in Korea, 
was the first minute man to land. He raced to the crash scene, hoping to find his friend alive. Instead, he found a neighborhood in shock from the awful thing that had happened. Captain John T. Ferrier's Saberjet had hit the ground midway between four houses and a backyard garden. It was the only place where he could have crashed without killing people. The explosion had knocked a woman and several children to the ground, but no one had been hurt with the exception of Johnny Ferrier. He had been killed instantly. A steady stream of people began coming to Comer as he stood in his flying suit beside the smoking, gaping hole in the ground where his best friend had just died. A bunch of us were standing together watching the show, an elderly man with tears in his eyes told Comer. When the pilot started to roll, he was headed straight for us. For a second, we looked right at each other. Then he pulled up right over us and put it in there. In deep humility, the old man whispered, This man died for us. A few days after this tragic accident, John Ferrier's wife, Tully, found a worn card in his billfold. On it were the words, I'm third. That simple phrase exemplified the life and death of this courageous man. For him, God came first, others second, and himself third. True to his philosophy, John Ferrier sacrificed his life for people he had never met. Man, this was such a challenging thing to me when I read it. Um, you know, we live in a culture where it's really glorified for people to live a, a self-serving life, you know. The culture will tell you, do what makes you happy, uh, you do you, um, don't worry about what people think, or don't worry about what people do, but you just do whatever you want to do, whatever you like, whatever makes you happy, get everything you can get out of life. Um, but the message of the gospel is, is so contradictory to that. And the message of Jesus, um, not to get everything you can out of life, but actually to die to yourself and, and to be a living sacrifice. Um, it's so different from what the culture preaches and it's so hard to, to live that way sometimes. But we are, as Christians, called to live this way. I mean, if you look at the life of Jesus, uh, and you, there's really two things that you can take away from that above everything else. And number one is that he spent his life serving others. He served his disciples. He served uh, all the people that he came in contact with, whether it was you know healing their sicknesses or ministering to their, their them spiritually. Uh, he spent his life serving others, and then. From his death, we learn, you know, sacrifice. He sacrificed himself uh, for us. And so if we're going to call ourselves a Christian, uh, it has to mean so much more than, than someone who goes to church. It has to mean someone who lives a life uh, where we put our service to God above everything else, and then we put our service to other people above our own needs. So this is very challenging. Um, I hope it challenges you as much as it challenged me. Uh, but man, to live that life where we say every day, you know what, I'm third. It's interesting that the reason the culture will tell you to put yourself first is because they'll say, well, the way that you find happiness is to put yourself first. Um, 
But if you look at people who do live that type of lifestyle where they, where they put their own wants and needs above all else, often you just find the most miserable people on the earth. Yet when you look at people who have lived this type of lifestyle of I'm third, I'm going to put God first, others second, and myself third, those are the most peaceful, joyful, most fulfilled people on the earth. And the reason for that is simple. We were not created to find uh, happiness within ourselves. We were created to find happiness in our communion with God and in our fellowship with others. And so, you know, when you get those things out of order, uh, you, you won't find peace and happiness, but instead you'll find a life of, uh, of chaos and misery. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this and found this uh, as challenging as I did. And um, I hope that you'll take this seriously and, you know, be intentional about putting others' needs ahead of your own and serving others. All right. Hope everyone has a good day and a great rest of the weekend. And I'll talk to you later.